All right, Wrestling with Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton, and we are digging deeper into Revelation. We are getting into one of those passages that is very well known. We hear it read every All Saints Day and even at a lot of Christian funerals. We get Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 to 17 this week. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All right, that's our text for this week. All right, so this is going to be one of those passages where there is a lot to get into. So this may again be one of those longer ones that I do, like we have been with the confessional corner as we have done free will the last few weeks. Especially when we get to the great tribulation in a moment. All right, so let's look into it. Verses 13 and 14. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This is a great picture. This vast multitude that cannot be numbered, all clothed in white robes. Dr. Brighton says, The picture of eternal glory of Revelation 7.14 is for the comfort of all Christians of all times as they experience whatever tribulations sorely test their faith and patience. Some tribulations and sufferings may be so piercing and poignant that the very faith and foundation of the believer's hope will be severely tried, almost to the point of despair and defeat. For that Christian at that moment, his sufferings and trials are his great tribulation, and every Christian will experience tribulation. Here is very simple why we have it as the epistle reading or the first reading for the Feast of All Saints is that everybody suffers this tribulation. This is not something that is going to be, as Dr. McGee and the dispensationalists will say, will be after the rapture, after the church is gone. No, the church suffers this on a daily basis. Every individual Christian suffers this. So let's go to Dr. McGee real quick. And he said to me, these are they which came out of the great tribulation. If these people gathered here were the church, John would have known it. John would wrote to the believers in his day. He knew about the church. He knew about the body of believers. And he wrote to them about love, that great unifying cement that holds them together. But John doesn't know who this company is. The elder, who is a representative of the church now in heaven, knows that this company is not the church. It is an altogether different company. It is those who came out of the great tribulation. Doesn't that tell you that the church is not going through the great tribulation? This is a special company out of all tribes and tongues and nations who have come out of the great tribulation. Dr. McGee goes on to refer to John 10, 16 to prove that tribulation saints are not the Jews nor the church. Yet this passage speaks about the unity of all believers under Jesus. So let's look at John 10, 16 real quick. And this is one of those great passages, again, that we can talk about in numerous different ways of being uh, misunderstood. Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. What is the point of this passage? The unity of 
believers in Christ. One flock, one shepherd, not other sheep. Because, well, there are always other sheep. All right, let's go to Ecumenius real quick. It says they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. To be sure, one might think that robes dipped in blood would be red, not white. And so, how is it that they have become white? Because according to the opinion of the all-wise Paul, baptism is completed in the death of the Lord and wipes clean from every filth of sin. So those baptized in him are made white and clean. However, the reception of the life-giving blood of Christ also gives the same grace. For the Lord said concerning his own blood that it was poured out for many, and for the sake of many, and for the forgiveness of sins. Ecumenius goes not to who the people are, but why are the robes white? They are white in the waters of baptism, washed in the blood of the Lamb, in and with the water in the font. All right, but these are the ones coming out of the Great Tribulation. So let's talk about the Great Tribulation, because this is the point where it truly shows up in the Scriptures. So we have that this great multitude, white robes and all of that, coming out of the Great Tribulation. So let's talk about it. And let's listen to Jesus first, because that is the person that we should listen to first. So he says in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 15, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. If anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So where does this idea of the great tribulation come from? Well, it comes from Jesus. Because it is the ones who are going out, who are trying to be faithful to Christ. And in the midst of all the false Christs and the false prophets that show up. And Revelation is very, very rich with all of these. So we'll have this passage from Matthew 24 appear over and over again as we continue on through Revelation. Dr. Brighton says, The people in the great crowd which John sees before the throne of God in heaven have already experienced the great tribulation and have come out of it. The present participle in the phrase, Oi ekomen oi ek, those who are coming out, suggests that Christians are continually emerging from this tribulation, adding to the crowd in heaven. John is looking at the whole people of God entering and becoming the church triumphant. The crowd that John sees represents the whole church as if it were already triumphant, as if it were already complete, as it will be at the resurrection at the end. What is the great crowd? It is the church triumphant. It is all believers in Christ. 
he goes on to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. The early church, the very beginnings of the church, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is that continual adding on to the fact that the great tribulation is going on now. You and I are in the midst of it. You and I are suffering through it right now as Christians. We are the tribulation saints, but so have been all the saints, all the way back to the apostles, even back to Abraham and to Noah and to Adam and Eve as well, as they sought to follow after God in the midst of the world around them. All right, so we get to the other part of it, the part that Jesus says shows the beginning of all of this. Back in Matthew 24, 15 to 16. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What is the reader supposed to understand about this abomination of desolation? Well, we must understand Daniel, especially chapters 9, 11, and 12. So let's look at Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the world to, word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. But on, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So we have the 70 weeks prophecy coming from Daniel, and it is this idea, and this is where the dispensationalists get this idea of the rapture and the tribulation being the last seven years on earth is at that last week, and then it being split up into halves, where you have half the year sacrifices being allowed, half the time it's not being allowed. But he goes on in chapter 11, starting in verse 29. At the appointed time he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery, and some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the end of time, for it still awaits the appointed time." So here we have again the abomination that makes desolate. This thing that stands in the holy place that looks like something godly, has the portent of something godly, but absolutely is demonic in character. 
in Daniel chapter 12, these last few verses, as Luther talks about Daniel chapter 12, he talks about this being pure gospel. And so let's see what he has to say at the very end of his prophecies. Daniel chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of time. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Here we have Daniel being told that there is a time where there will be no allowance of sacrifices. And we'll see this happening in Jewish history before the New Testament starts. But first, we must look at what Daniel says at the end of his prophecies and what John is getting in this vision of the great multitude. You shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Daniel is one of those who is standing in the great multitude robed in white that John sees. He doesn't see the abomination of desolation. That is well on into the future. But he does know who is in charge, who is the one who is truly ruling over things. And that is the God that he has always been faithful to. So as I said, this all happens in history, and it's recorded in 1 Maccabees, first in chapter 1 and then chapter 6. So we'll look at chapter 1, starting in verse 54. Now the 15th day of the month, Kaslu, in the 145th year, they set up the abomination of desolation upon the altar, and builded idol altars throughout the cities of Judah on every side, and burnt incense at the doors of their houses and in the streets. And when they had rent in pieces the books of the law which they had found, they burnt them with fire. And whosoever was found with any book of the testament, or if any committed to the law, the king's commandment was that they should be put to death. So it's abomination of desolation. It is the getting rid of the covenant. This is the king of the north in Daniel 11 coming back and fighting against the holy covenant. So that there is anyone who decides that they want to follow God, want to follow the truth of the word, will be put to death. In history, this abomination of desolation is when Antiochus IV, known as Epiphanes, sacrifices a pig on the altar of incense after having come in and taken Jerusalem once again in battle. So this is that thing that makes desolate. Not only a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice being put on the altar of incense inside the temple, but that animal being a pig. And it is then that we have the issues of the Maccabees and their fight against Antiochus and his forces to pull down that and to reestablish and rededicate the temple after this abomination. And therefore, we have the Feast of Dedication, also known as Hanukkah, that has come up in history. So now we move on from here. Having looked at the abomination of desolation, them getting past it, them going on, Here's verse 15. Therefore they that are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Dr. Brighton says, 
This verb, atrusen, bears the idea of carrying out a religious duty as worship or as prescribed religious activities. And the New Testament is used for service before the altar, Hebrews 9, 6-10, service in proclaiming the gospel of Christ, Romans 1, 9, and the service of a Christian's whole life with a good conscience, 2 Timothy 1, 3. In Revelation, it is only used twice, here and chapter 22, verse 3. In chapter 22, verse 3, it refers to the worship of God's saints, or slaves, before him in the new heaven and new earth. In chapter 22, verse 3, and also here in chapter 7, verse 15, it connotes that the whole being and life of the saints is an act of worship. That is a worship service of praise to God. He goes on to say, Skenao appears only five times in the New Testament, four of them in Revelation, this being the first one. The only other occurrence, John 1.14, refers to the incarnation of the word as the fulfillment and replacement of the tabernacle. Twice in Revelation, here in verse 15 and also in chapter 21, verse 3, the subject is God. Here God dwells among his people in heaven now and serves as the protective tent over them. And after the end, in the new heavens and the new earth, God will dwell among his people. The other two times, in chapter 12 and 13, the subject is all the saints and angels who dwell now in heaven before God's presence. So this tent, this tabernacle, is very important in the idea of worship, especially. But it is that protection that God gives, that of being in the midst of his people. Which is why when we get to the end of Revelation, in chapter 21, in the holy city coming down, there is no temple in the new Jerusalem, because God is dwelling among them and among us without any filter, without any covering, because we can stand before him having been washed our robes white in the blood of the lamb. All right, so how do the people fare? I mean, what are the blessings of being in God's presence? They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Tychonius in the 4th century said they will not hunger because they are fed by the living bread. He said, I am the living bread who comes down from heaven, John 6, 51. Nor will they thirst, for they will drink from a cup so excellent that it will be for them what the truth said. Whoever believes in me will never thirst, John 6, 35. And again, whoever drinks from the water that I shall give him, it shall become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life, John 4, 14. Nor will the sun strike them, nor will they be burned by the deadly heat of its fire. God promised something similar to his church through Isaiah, a shelter from the storm, shade from the heat, Isaiah 25, 4. He proclaims that the strength of his sacraments will be strong in those who belong to him, and they will not be vexed by the heat of temptation. God also says in Isaiah 49, beginning in verse 8, Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritage, saying to the prisoners, Come out, and to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, and on all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. So we have this, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. And even among the bare heights of the mountains, there will be pasture land. And then we go to John 4, where Tychonius had referenced the woman at the well. And the this all starts with Jesus asking the woman for a drink. 
And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So she asked, where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So she says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. We come to Jesus wanting this living water, this water that wells up inside of us to give us eternal life. Now we move into the end of our verses today. Verse 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I mean, this honestly begins the idea with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Although the 23rd Psalm is the place we go to talk about the Lord being our shepherd. It is not the only place where God talks about himself being our shepherd. We go back to Ezekiel chapter 34, beginning in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Jeremiah 31 says, Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, He who scattered Israel will gather him, and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob, and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. Or we go to Isaiah 40. In the same chapter where it is, Comfort, comfort my people. Beginning in verse 9. He tells Isaiah, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And then as Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, teaching in the temple, in Mark 12, beginning in verse 35, he says, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng gladly heard him. 
Jesus is talking about what happens when the son of David comes in, the Christ who is the shepherd of the people that God has sent to his people. And this is what we also hear at Christmas from Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." There is no better description of the people coming out of the great tribulation, the great crowd of the church triumphant in heaven, than the people who have been led by God through his shepherd, Jesus Christ, our Savior, to be with him. And every tear will be wiped away. We will be by streams of living water, all the great blessings of heaven that we can possibly imagine, and even greater are coming our way. Why? Because we listen to the voice of our shepherd. We listen to him who calls us by name and baptism so that we may be blessed. And that is where we're going to stop today. Next week, we get into the seventh seal in chapter eight. We get back into the hairy parts of it. But John has given us a couple of weeks here to give us that interlude in chapter seven so that we might see the great blessings that God gives to us, the great shepherding that God does for us, even in the midst of the great tribulation. I am Pastor Doug Minton, thanking you for being here to dig deeper into God's word with me. And I pray that this digging helps you to be strengthened, to wrestle with the theologies around you today and always. Amen. <music>